the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. It tells us here in the text that we just read that for their protection... God gives them the ability to produce fire from their mouths if anyone tries to harm them. Wouldn't you love that gift? I mean, you know, like somebody keeps cutting you off in traffic and, and you just are so sick and tired of this and, you know, and they're, they're giving you, you know, a, a certain index finger and you're, and you're so mad at them and you just roll down your window. <sighs> Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, come on. Not right, but awesome. Pastor Gary makes light of the power that's given to the two witnesses here in this passage of Revelation we are looking at today, but it brings up an interesting point. The things we read in these passages of Scripture are nothing short of supernatural, and it causes you to wonder how so many people will still be blind to the truth when even these signs begin coming to pass. It's like when Jesus said we can predict weather by looking at the sky, but can't interpret the signs of the times. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 10 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. This angel has been given complete authority by God over land and sea. For this moment, this angel has been given complete authority over land and sea. And it says in verse 3, And he cried and cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered, their voices. So that part there about seven thunders uttering their voices has created a lot of discussion over the years by different Bible scholars. And uh, one of the things that is uh, probably uh, most likely relevant to that is um, it may describe, in fact, the seven, these seven uttered thunderings probably reflective of the voice of God. Because when David writes in Psalm 29 about the voice of the Lord, there are seven different times, I'm going to read it to you, there are seven different times that David describes the voice of the Lord. And it's probably a parallel to this, talking about the seven thunderings, the seven thunderings that uttered their voices. It's probably just a statement about the sound of God's voice. And here's what David wrote in Psalm 29, verses 3 to 9. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. 
The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare and his temple. And in his temple, everyone says, Glory. And so David writes there in Psalm 29 about the thunderous sound of the voice of God. He repeats that word voice seven times to kind of describe, you know, the, the uh, magnitude of God's voice. And so these seven thunders are probably aspects of God's divine wrath, which he's going to order here, John, to not write. John hears the thunderous voice of God's divine wrath here, but then God says to him in in verse 4, Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. And so, whatever this thunderous wrath of God is, for the time being, he says to John, I don't want you to write about this. Now this may end up being the seven bowls. But for the time being, John hears the preview, but he's told, now don't write any of this stuff down. And he says in verse 5 that the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him. So now the angel is going to take an oath by God who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. In other words, there's going to be a point in all of this where there's no turning back. And God is saying here at this point, delay no longer, no turning back. But, verse 7, in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. In other words, the unfolding of God's plan for the ages is about to be uh, displayed here that the mystery of God would be finished, and as he declared to his servants, the prophets. You know, the prophets of the Old Testament, and even the prophetic things of the New Testament, either have or will have its fulfillment in its time. God is saying, listen, the unfolding of his plan for the ages is about ready to be fulfilled here. And then this very interesting part here at the end of chapter 10, where he says in in verse uh, 8, and then the voice which I heard Uh, from heaven uh, spoke to me again and said, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So this this is, uh, you read different commentaries and they say this is John's commissioning. I mean, all the way in chapter 10, but he gets finally commissioned here. But this whole idea about eating the scroll, and aren't you glad it's a little book? I mean, if it were a big book, he'd be chowing down for how long to finally consume the thing. But it's an edible book. It's an edible book to him. And so he's told, go take the book. And so he says in verse 9, so I went. I I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, which is kind of an interesting thing. You know, when you think about this mighty angel, one foot on the sea, one foot on the land, and he's got this book, and and John says, give me the book. I mean, you know, that's that's bold. Give me the book. And so he, he gives him the book. And he said, the angel said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter but it will also be as sweet as honey in your mouth. In other words, we use the expression, this is bittersweet. 
And what's bittersweet about this event here? Well, these judgments are bittersweet because the things that happen upon the earth are so terrible. There's a bitter part to this. But the sweet part of it all is that God is still in the business of redeeming people. And people will still be able to get saved. And God still has an ultimate plan. And there's a new heaven and a new earth and eternity with the Lord. And so there's hope on the horizon. But you, but you have to also take the bitter with the sweet. And these are bitter times that are coming upon the earth. And so God instructs John through this angel, take the scroll and eat it. Now, this is, this is you know, this delegated word of God in the scroll here. And it, it is symbolic of, I want you to ingest and feed on my word. And this is actually very similar. I don't know if you remember your Bibles, the prophet Ezekiel was instructed by God to do the same thing. And in Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, it says, Moreover, he, that is the Lord, said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. Now, you know, in Ezekiel's day, it wasn't necessarily edible. He just, I mean, he made it edible, but it wasn't necessarily as edible as what we see here in Revelation chapter 10. But nevertheless, Ezekiel took the scroll, the parchment, and he started to eat it at Ezekiel 3 verse 3. And the Lord said to me, son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. And then he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. So the instruction of the prophet Ezekiel was, I want you to feed on my word because now I want you to be a dispenser of it. So I want you to get it into your belly because I want you, I want it to be symbolic of it getting into your soul as you go and you preach my word to the house of Israel that you would feed on my word and, and it would be your sustenance and then you would deliver it to the people. And so Ezekiel did it and he said it was sweet actually. Uh, to my lips, in the same way that John was like, it's sweet on my lips, but it's bitter in my stomach. And, and uh, in Psalm 119, 103, we hear something similar. In Psalm 119, 103, it says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The, the Word of God is, is a wonderful, sweet, nourishing thing for our souls. But there is this bitter part of it. You know, there is a part of it where the reality of God's judgment and how he is just and righteous and holy, there comes a day of reckoning. And that day of reckoning is, is, a, is a bitter time for people who don't know the Lord. But when we do know the Lord, we feed on his word, and it's, oh, it's so sweet to our souls. And it, and it tastes like honey going down in, in a figurative sense. But this is literal here, what, what he's instructing John to do here. And so he said, my stomach was bitter, but it was sweet as honey in my mouth. And verse 10 says, then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. In other words, God is not done here. And you're ingesting this scroll because in the same way that Ezekiel was commissioned, now take God's word, get it into your belly, symbolic of getting it into your heart, and you have to go deliver it to the people of Israel. He's saying to John, you have to go deliver it to the people that they might hear. And not just any particular people, all peoples, many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Chapter 11. And then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. 
And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now after the three and a half days, the breadth of life... The breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So um, let's, let's pause there and back up because the, end, uh, the rest of what I didn't read from chapter 11 has to do, deal with the seventh trumpet, uh, but we'll not have time to get into that because I just want to take the remaining, what do we have, 10 minutes to take a look at this part I just read here from chapter 11, which in your Bibles might be subtitled as mine is, The Two Witnesses. So first I want to mention here from verse 1 that John is instructed to go measure the area around the temple of God. Now remember, when John is writing this in the late first century in the 90s AD, the temple has been destroyed for probably at least 20 years by this point. The temple of Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans under Titus Vespasian when they conquered the city. So the fact that John sees a temple here that hasn't been standing probably for 20 years tells us what other parts of the Bible tells us, which is that there will be the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And what we find is that in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that the Antichrist is behind the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. That the Antichrist, when this powerful, political, charismatic world leader comes onto the scene and, um, and becomes basically dictator over the earth... One of the things that he will do is establish a peace treaty among the Jewish people and among, in those days, whatever other world religions are still around, and and that he makes this covenant of peace for seven years at the beginning of the tribulation period. But then the Bible tells us in Daniel 9.27 that in the middle of the seven-year peace agreement, three and a half years into it, he breaks the peace covenant proclaims himself to be God, 
And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, it tells us that he sets himself up in the temple, or at least an image or a statue of him, and proclaims himself to be God. And then the eyes of the Jewish people are open, that they realize that they have been deceived by this guy. And then, in fact, he's not Messiah, that he is the Antichrist. And so a temple will be rebuilt. Even though right now there's not been a temple of the Jews since 70 AD, the only thing on the Temple Mount area is the Al-Aqsa Mosque, a mosque that the Muslims built. There has not been a temple there since 70 AD, but the Bible says that there will be a temple that will be rebuilt on the Temple Mount. I don't know that we will be here for the time of the laying of that cornerstone, but I can tell you that every year on the 9th of August, a zealous uh, group of uh, Jews march to the Temple Mount to try to lay the cornerstone. They do it symbolically because they know that the Muslims will turn them away. Because after the 1967 war, uh, then Minister of, of Defense, Moshe Dayan, made an agreement with the, the Muslims that they could maintain administrative rights of the Temple Mount. Um, it was a decision that um, the Israelis would later regret, and for that reason, there is not a statue or a portrait to Moshe Dayan anywhere in Israel today. He gave away the administrative right of the Temple Mount, even though the Israelis had successfully captured the Temple Mount in the 1967 war. He gave up administrative rights and said, okay, well, we will have the control of the territory insofar as the borders, but we will allow you, he says to the Muslims, to control what happens on the Temple Mount area, seeing as how it is also uh, viewed by Muslims today as a secret, as a rather a sacred site for them as well. And so the Muslims have administrative rights. When we go to Israel and, and we, we take tours of Israel, when we get to the part in Jerusalem where we're going to go up on the Temple Mount, I always say to the group, we never know if we're going to be allowed in today or not. Because the Muslims can just decide we don't want tourists up here today, and then you don't you don't get to go. And so um, they maintain the administrative rights, and therefore maintaining the administrative rights, they're not going to allow a Jewish temple to be built up there. But there will come a day when an antichrist, who will be very persuasive, and will issue this peace accord, will somehow persuade this to happen, and so it will happen. And John sees this temple of God standing and this altar there and those who worship there. And then he speaks about how the Gentiles will trample it for 42 months. Now, I want you to notice in your Bibles that it says in verse 40, in verse 2, 42 months. And it mentions in verse 3, 1,260 days. Now, 42 months is three and a half years. And 1,260 days is also three and a half years if you use the Babylonian calendar like Daniel chapter 9, which is a, this is kind of like a parallel to what's happening in Daniel chapter 9 with the Antichrist. The Babylonian calendar only had 360 days on their calendar year, not 365 like we have. So 1,260 days divided by 360 days on the Babylonian calendar is exactly three and a half years. Now, why does verse 2 say 42 months and verse 3 says 1,260 days? Because it's distinguishing the first half of the tribulation period from the latter half of the tribulation period. The first half of the tribulation period is the 1,260 days. The last half 
is 42 months. Now, so it's given to us a little bit backwards, but he's giving us a reference point. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that in the latter half of the tribulation period, the 42 months, the three and a half years of the last half of the tribulation period, Gentiles are going to run across the temple area, the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because you see, in the middle of the tribulation, at the three and a half year point, is when the Antichrist reveals himself, and now the Gentiles, in other words, the heathens, those who are you know, non-believers, they're going to take over the city of Jerusalem, and, and so they are going to um, be um, trampling the city for 42 months. The last three and a half years of the tribulation period are going to be the worst. Leading up to, okay, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, the 1,260 days, John sees here two witnesses who are sent by God, given power by God, to prophesy 1,260 days, and they're clothed in sackcloth. Now, um, I've only got like a couple of minutes, so I'm going to get as far as I can and be true to the time. But the question becomes now, who are the two witnesses of Revelation? And the first thing to note is their location. We're talking about Jerusalem because it says where the temple is located. And it also tells us later in verse 8, this is the place where their Lord was crucified. So that settles it. We know this is Jerusalem. That these two witnesses appear. These are two people that God has assigned a particular uh, mission. And they have been commissioned to do this. To preach a message of repentance. Because the language there in verse 3, when it says that they are prophesying, and it mentions that they're clothed in sackcloth, well, those are all biblical descriptions of people who were sent to preach a message of repentance. So these two individuals are raised up by God with the purpose of proclaiming the gospel and calling people to repentance. So these are, these are prophets who appear in the scene clothed in sackcloth preaching a message of repentance. Their duration, as I mentioned, is 1,260 days, which equals three and a half years using the Babylonian calendar similar to Daniel chapter 9. And so they preach the first half of the seven-year tribulation period. So God sends them at the beginning, but then there's this critical event that happens midway when they actually die, but I'm getting ahead of myself. And it tells us here in the text that we just read that for their protection, God gives them the ability to produce fire from their mouths if anyone tries to harm them. Wouldn't you love that gift? I mean, you know, like somebody keeps cutting you off in traffic and, and you just are so sick and tired of this and, you know, and they're, they're giving you, you know, a, a certain index finger and you're, and you're so mad at them and you just roll down your window. <sighs> Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, come on. Not right, but awesome. Okay. You know, your flesh would want to do that kind of thing just to kind of like blow fire and, 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 you know, do harm to people if they try to harm you. And God gives them the ability to breathe fire like dragons if anybody tries to harm them. Now, the next point on the slide is their identification. Who are these two witnesses? And we're going to have to wait till next week to talk about that. That's right, friends. 
we're going to leave you with a cliffhanger. Who are these two prophets that God sends? They have names, and we're going to talk about who they might very well be. Thanks for listening today to Cornerstone Connection. This book of Revelation that you've been studying with Pastor Gary is one that many have studied and analyzed, tried and tried again to pinpoint on a timeline. When will Jesus come? When will these and times events take place? Have they already begun? There are many questions we don't have the answers to, and we won't until they happen. But there are some truths that we can hold on to. These events will happen. Jesus is returning, and he will defeat Satan once and for all. And all those who have made Jesus Lord in their life will be with him for eternity. What a wonderful time that will be. So where does that leave us? It's important to know what's coming so that you can prepare now and trust Jesus for what we don't know. We must give our lives to the Lord, and we need to give others the opportunity to do the same. We're so glad you tuned in for today's study in Revelation. If you'd like to explore more teachings from God's Word that Pastor Gary has shared, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll also learn more about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel. Come visit us if you're in the area. All the information you need is at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Join us next time for more here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.